Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. One of the core convictions we have in putting these Hope Renewed episodes together is that they can be a continual voice of encouragement to pastors and ministry leaders, and especially so when ministry creates the kind of wear and tear that can bring about a sense of hopelessness. And we recognize that you can often struggle to know who to talk to when it feels like the wheels are coming off in your lives. Who, who understands? Who gets it? Uh, who can truly be helpful in that situation? And maybe most importantly, where and who is safe? So in this episode, we want to drill deeply into the question of finding and using good grace-filled counsel to maintain health and resilience in ministry life. Tom, we have a special guest today. Uh, Nate Wagner is a, is a good friend of mine and someone who's helped me out immensely in my own ministry. Nate has a passion for local church ministry and cultivating grace-based culture where healing and wholeness can be realized. Nate's been married to his college sweetheart for uh, 23 years, and together they have shared the highs and lows of raising three kids, and uh, they, they now enjoy seeing them launch into adulthood. That's a fun place to be. Nate is the senior pastor of Sparta Baptist Church, uh, and he's been there since 2011. And also for the last 14 years, he served as a professional counselor, working primarily with pastors, ministry leaders, and executives. As a pastor and counselor, Nate works to bring healing to individuals in the areas of emotional distress, failing marriages, addictions, sexual brokenness, ministry fatigue, and burnout. He has a particular interest in helping people overcome barriers to resilience and move forward in their spiritual journey. Nate Wagner, welcome to Hope Renewed. Hey, gentlemen, thank you so much. It's a privilege to be able to join with you and uh, just get to talk about leadership, get to talk about resilience, and uh, just uh, offer whatever encouragement we can as leaders uh, navigate the the highs and the lows of, of ministry and the challenges that are inevitable in all of that. Well, it's truly our privilege to have you on the show. Uh, take a moment and tell our listeners about yourself and a little bit about your ministry story. I'm a Jersey kid, so I grew up South Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia. Um, so we don't park our car in a garage, but we don't enunciate anything either. So we uh, <laughs> tend to have a lazy pattern of speech, which has challenged me out here in the Midwest, where I've been uh, kind of... Uh, confronted with the realities that uh, there's just a different level of expectation of how you actually, the the, the, can, the, the candid way in which you speak and, and the banter there. Um, grew up uh, in New Jersey, came out to Cornerstone uh, as a 18-year-old college freshman. Uh, I thought I was going to go into missionary aviation. I read a book about Nate Saint when I was 10 years old, mm. was convinced that I wanted to be a missionary pilot. Um, Came out to Cornerstone thinking I was going to take that path um, uh, for a number of reasons. Some of them financial, some of them are just more pragmatic uh, than even that. Um, redirected kind of those those plans. Thought I would go into math education uh, and uh, ultimately ended up getting a psych degree from Cornerstone and married my, um, my girlfriend uh, who became my wife at that time uh, right before our senior year. And God called us into a part-time uh, interim ministry position in youth uh, at a church in Sparta, Michigan, uh, during our senior year at college. And uh, that was in uh, 1998, January of 1998, I came to this church and um, I haven't left. Um, uh, I served as the uh, youth and family pastor for several years. And then in 2011, I became the senior pastor. During that time uh, of youth ministry, realized the need to get some extra training theologically, but also from a counseling perspective, just because of the, the natural challenges that we were facing there. And so went to Grand Rapids Theological Seminary and did the, the, the MA in, in ministry, uh, excuse me, in counseling ministries, um, ended up getting a licensure out of that and thought that I would just sit in the, the local church doing what I was doing at that time, uh, just better equipped to manage the, the challenges. 
2007, was approached by um, a gentleman that I had uh, gone to seminary with. He was running a, um, a counseling agency in Grand Rapids and said, I've got pastors and ministry leaders that are struggling. They need somebody who can sit across the table from them and really wrestle with the, the, the realities of, of pastoral ministry um, mm-hmm. and that gets it. And so in 2007, I stepped into uh, kind of a, a professional counseling situation and began to work uh, part-time um, uh, in that capacity. And I have been doing that um, uh, on the side in a part-time way, as you can imagine, that ebbs and flows quite a bit, trying mm-hmm. to manage that on the side of doing full-time pastoral ministry as well, uh, but uh, have just been given the opportunity, God's favor has been on me in so many different ways, just to step into lots of very difficult situations, to walk in the um, the the day-to-day challenges, the heartbreak, the frustrations, the disappointments, and and really to deal with the 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 painful realities of pastoral ministry, uh, ministry leadership, uh, parachurch organization leadership, all of those things, and and uh, the place where God has designed to accomplish some of His greatest um, things is also a place where so much pain and heartbreak and mm. and struggle is just inevitability uh, of all of that. So uh, I'm walking that through and doing pastoral ministry as well as trying to find ways to to come alongside of pastors and leaders in a variety of settings to to offer encouragement and really to keep them in the fight, um, to keep them in the pain uh, in the in the the realities of doing ministry, continuing to do it, even when there's so many things that conspire to take them out. Nate, uh, that, that's such a unique uh, combination to, to put together the professional counseling and the, the pastoral ministry and have that professional counseling be geared toward those who are in ministry leadership. What, what's your heart for pastors? Uh, is, it, is it something that's developed or something that drew you to that or a combination of both? It's a great question. I, I think God has clearly cultivated something in me that is, I love doing pastoral ministry. Um, in fact, when I think about how growth and, and, and formation happens in the life of a person, there's nothing else on the planet that has the ability to offer all of the elements necessary for growth and healing a person's life than the local church. Um, and so when I think about what pastors are able to offer and, and the role that they have to, to help facilitate those things, uh, there's something powerful about that. There's something incredible mm-hmm. about that. But so many people don't experience church that way. And specifically, so many pastors don't experience church that way. And so uh, to be able to help pastors live that out, walk that out, be who they need to be, offer what they want to offer, realize the 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 promises of the local church is greater than its problems, but then to realize also the pain and the struggle that comes with being in that lead role and and trying to do that well, uh, trying to help guys stay in it and, and mm. walk it through and, and just have a real passion to see uh, leadership in churches not have to transition unnecessarily. There are clearly times where transition is necessary, Mm -hmm. but I am convinced that there are so many things that conspire to take leaders out uh, that should not have the power to do that. And uh, when transitions happen, there's lots of implications of that. And so to try to keep uh, leaders in place as long as possible uh, to work through the things that don't, should not necessarily take them out uh, to be able to help cultivate healing environments in their own churches and then to be able to have the strength and the encouragement and to ultimately learn how to thrive in environments mm-hmm. that have the that are the, have the potential to bring so much pain and heartbreak into their lives. Yeah. And it seems like there there's when that pain inevitably comes uh, and, and difficulties. I mean, you know, ministry is dangerous Absolutely. calls. Paul David Tripp said uh, discerning that line when the pain needs to be addressed professionally. Uh, and, and so maybe a two-part question here, uh, how, how does a pastor know, Hey, I need to get a little bit more input, uh, into this, or I could really benefit from some professional help here. Uh, and then what do you say to a pastor who, uh, is, is considering that, that counseling for ministry pay? What I would say is, what are you waiting for? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I mean that sincerely, I, I truly don't believe that a pastor can lead effectively long-term without having uh, either it be a professional counselor or a spiritual director, someone in their life that can mm-hmm. come alongside of them. Um, I, I use the phraseology all the time of you've got to get out of your own head. Um, 
uh, too many leaders get stuck in their own head. And uh, mm -hmm. it's just the reality of doing what we do. Uh, you've got to get out of your own head. You've got to have somebody that can help you ask better questions. Uh, you've got to help somebody that can give you language for what you're feeling and what you're experiencing that can clarify what's real and what's not real. What have you mm -hmm. manufactured just because of being so close to the flame in the way that you are and what's actually really going on? Uh, and so I, I just think that for any pastor in ministry long term, uh, you've got to decide that it's worth investing in having that kind of support. And, mm -hmm. and again, whether it is uh, whether it is a specifically a professional counselor or it is somebody who can offer that kind of support to you, uh, I think you've got to decide to gravitate towards that. But I think oftentimes it's not until we get stuck where we're, for me, um, my, I kept waiting for burnout to come where I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Um, uh, our church had been through a lot of challenges and you go back to 2009. And, and what I realized is over the course of a couple of months that I wasn't ever in a place where I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. What I realized is I was mad at everyone and everything um, <laughs> yeah. that I just, I, I just, it was everybody else's fault. I was irritated by my kids, by my wife, by every person that called me. I was just irritated. And I realized that it took me a while to realize that's burnout, right? For me, that was just, this is not where I want to be. And, and so going to a counselor and working that through it, and quite frankly, going to a counselor who was not going to just pat me on my back, who was not just going to sit there and, and, and sit in the, the hole with me, but was willing to empathize enough to let me know that I was being heard, but then to look at me and say, okay, now what? Mm -hmm. uh, and then let's get, let's walk forward. And in fact, one of my one of my specific moments with my counselor back in 2009 was I, I walked in and I said, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to leave ministry. I want to walk away. Um, I had had several families that had fallen apart. I had, had just a number of different uh, things that had really just not materialized the way I wanted. And I said, I want to be done. And the, the pastor or the, the counselor looked at me and said, you, you probably should be. You probably do need to walk away. And it was not what I was looking to hear from him. It was not what I expected to hear from him, I should say. And he said, if this is about your ego, if this is about your own personal gratification, if this is about you feeling successful, you really do need to walk away. Hmm. He said, I just thought this was about something else. I thought this was about God's calling on your life. I thought this is about what God had wanted to uh, accomplish. I thought this was about the preparation that he had walked you through and how he wanted to allow you to sit in that pain and, and deal with that pain so that you had something to offer and to be mm. the leader he had was creating you to be and was really preparing you to be. If it's about that, then we got to figure this out. But th if this is about your ego and about you feeling gratified and successful in everything that you do, you really do need to walk away. And, and that was a shift for me. That was the beginning of a, of a brand new uh, kind of approach. And it really was uh, uh, kind of coming off of some of the, the early struggles in ministry and realizing I had to shift my focus and perspective on some of these things. So, Nate, uh, sometimes pastors um, really don't know if they can trust counseling. They don't know, uh, you know, what they can look for in a good counselor. Some of them uh, are afraid of what they're going to find in themselves as they come to counseling. Um, can you help us uh, encourage pastors a little bit more? What should they look for in a good counselor? And uh, how can they uh, explore the, the work that they need to do with that counselor a little bit more? Yeah, one of the things that I say is that there can only be one counselor in the room at a time. And so many, so many pastors and, and uh, find themselves in the place where they're the counselor in the room. And so when they go to see a counselor, they need to have somebody that they can trust so that they can defer that role to someone else uh, in the mm. room with them. And, and so there's a, there's a number of things. I, I think there's a difference between a counselor who identifies himself as a Christian versus someone who really is an integrated Christian counselor, uh, mm. someone who understands how to integrate um, uh philosophy and, 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 and psychology and in a, in a clinical setting, but at the same time, uh, the absolute authority of scripture and, and the truth of scripture and how do those things come together in an integrated fashion? I think that's essential. Uh, I think somebody who's going to be willing to challenge you. Um, if you get somebody who's just asking you how you, how you feel about everything and, and, and how they can, you know, help you achieve your own, uh, personal kind of uh, goals. The bottom line is that you do have your own goals, but quite frankly, 
when I go in in a, in a hurting, broken place, my goals are oftentimes not the goals that they should be, right? And so mm. somebody who's even going to yeah. challenge, what is it that I'm looking for? And, and to, to invite me into a, a better conversation, uh, somebody who's willing to, to push back a little bit in a loving, encouraging way to, to challenge some of the presuppositions that I'm walking in the door with and, and offer that. I also think from an education perspective, there's a variety of really solid Christian counselors that have lots of different educational backgrounds. Uh, but I'm looking for somebody oftentimes that has a distinctly um, Christian institution somewhere in the development process, right? So uh, th so that they do learn how to integrate and so that they they do understand how to put those pieces together. And there are exceptions to that. Um, uh, but I think indeed they are the exceptions and they're not the rule. Uh, mm. And so you're looking for somebody who has that integration. I also think word of mouth is a huge deal. Uh, I think you've just got to yeah. take a referral and listen to other pastors and, and individuals and hear what they're saying about individuals. I, you know, I've, I've gotten my own kind of feedback from different clinicians and, and, and counselors that I would want to involve in this, in my own journey and getting their feedback has been really helpful in figuring out um, where I should go and where maybe even my family should uh, participate and what that can look like. And so uh, I think word of mouth is a huge part of that. Uh, but you really want somebody who is, who's got the background, who's got the, the, the experience, but also um, has a willingness to, to wrestle with where are you in this, what's really going on, and will they challenge you rather than just um, uh, allow you to, to process without being pushed on uh, to, to move forward in the process in some way, shape, or form, whatever that may look like. I want to push into another thing here, the, the whole issue of accessibility uh, I know a lot of times we, we talk with pastors who, who are feeling that, you know, boy, I, I think we're at a place where we could really benefit from some, some of this kind of counsel. Uh, who do we go to? Who, who's around us? Who do we know? Um, and with what COVID has done in making Zoom so much more of a, of a tool that everyone's comfortable with, um, is that an option? I, I'd love to get your perspective on on you know, utilizing virtual counseling, I guess, and, and the benefit of that versus actually sitting face to face with someone. And what a great timely question, quite frankly. Um, when this all started, I had done a little bit of telehealth stuff, um, but not much. And I had really not wanted to do it. I had tried to gravitate away from it. But when, uh, when COVID started, it really created the need for me to step into some more of that and to become more comfortable with that. Uh, so to be honest with you, as a, as, a, as a counselor, I had to reach out to some other professional colleagues and just say, help me think through this. How do I do this differently? Screen is different than live. To be honest with you, I'm a people guy, so I want to sit with you. There's an mm -hmm. energy there. I always say that one of my goals in counseling is that I want my client's um, heartbeat to match my own, meaning that literally the de-escalation, just the ability to kind of just sit and mm -hmm. breathe and work your way through that as you're trying to engage, it's hard to do that on a screen. Uh, but through the last 13, 14 months, it's become more and more commonplace. I think clinicians are better at figuring out how to do it well and, and how to meet you in that place. It's become e even more accessible where I've got pastors who are traveling or, or, or that are in different places and it's just easier to schedule that. Um, it, it makes it you more accessible in that way. And so I, I think you, we've reached a point where it's, I, I believe that it's absolutely something that can be beneficial. I think it's something that um, I have some clients right now that I've never actually seen in person. Mm. We've only ever interacted via Zoom and, and, and we're doing good work together and we're, we're working through the challenges that they're facing. Um, and I've become more and more open to that and receptive to that. Uh, I still feel like that's probably not where my strength is as far as doing that, but I certainly think it's an option. And at least in a season can really be profitable and, and beneficial. And I think in some ways makes it more accessible to us now than it's ever been before to get the kind of supports that we really need in this journey. Yeah. And, and I know for, for us, when someone's saying, oh, can you refer a counselor in my area? It's like, well, I don't know your area. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. I, I, I could, but, but to, to know, yeah, you can connect that way. Just broadens the, the opportunities and the resources. Mm -hmm. Uh, which I know when, when someone's feeling hopeless, just knowing that there are opportunities can, can bring um, some hope. So when a pastor uh, comes to a, a professional counselor, um, you, you've already uh, 
shared so wonderfully from your own story that, you know, one of the fundamental issues is determining, is this about your ego? Or is this about the Lord's call? Uh, what are some other major issues that pastors should be addressing with the counselor? Yeah, so this is where we could sit for quite a while, just because you can imagine the different the different things that flood my mind. I think one of the things that comes up so often is my personal identity. How wrapped up is my identity in my title and my position uh, versus my identity being in Christ? And I don't mean that clichéically. I genuinely mean the fact that uh, I think Tim Keller says it well. If if our if our identity is not in Christ, then then the then the successes are going to go to my head and the failures are going to go to my heart, right? And mm. so, um, being able to be in a place where my title, my position doesn't define me, uh, so that when there are struggles, when there are challenges, I don't wear them as a personal offense to me or, or put them on me. And so, I think part of it is my identity piece. The second thing that I always talk about with with pastors and any leader really is, I think we overvalue our importance and we underestimate our influence. Uh, and, and so figuring out how to be, uh, be as influential as we, we are and, and to leverage the influence that we've been given, uh, but to not allow it to be about our personal importance. Uh, importance is about what I can accomplish, right? Influence is about what God's going to accomplish through me. Hmm. Um, importance is about, I take myself seriously, uh, influence is about, I take what I do seriously. And quite frankly, I, I think there's a significant separation between those two because you can't do them both. Uh, it can't be about both of those two things. And so I think helping pastors identify, we always have more influence than we realize. We're never going to feel as important as we want to feel. Uh, it's just not, it's never going to happen. Uh, so that's a big part of it. I think learning how to be vulnerable uh, how to how to move in the direction of emotional intimacy by being vulnerable, by acknowledging what's really going on inside of me. Schizero uses the terminology that we oftentimes use God to run from God, uh, that we use spiritual language uh, to avoid dealing with what's really going on inside of us. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a professional in my office one time say, I went and became a professional so that I never had to see a professional. Uh, and, and again, there's that that recognition of what's really going on below the surface, I think quite frankly, uh, counselors can help us give language to what we're really feeling. If we can give language to it, then we can process it. If we can process it, then we can release it. If we can release it, we can move on from it. But if we can't get language for it, if we can't get categories for it, it will just ruminate and ruminate. And the terminology oftentimes is perseverate, where we just lock in and we can't let go of it. Um, and I think so much of it is getting the right language, getting the categories. And I think a counselor can really help us do that in a meaningful way. I also think a counselor can help normalize uh, the depression, anxiety side to this, right? So it's we, we become oftentimes kind of scared because we feel depressed when the reality is oftentimes depression can just be on the backside of a season of real intensity where mm -hmm. the body needs to recover emotionally, physiologically, we need to recover. And, and so we're not going crazy and, and this isn't, life isn't falling apart. We just need a season uh, to work through that. Maybe a time of grief uh, where we've, you know, pastors, uh, what I've realized several times is you work through losing someone in your congregation, you're the pastor, you're doing the service, you're walking with the family. You don't have time to grieve. Yes. You just don't take the opportunity to grieve. And it's not until much later where you start to feel like this stuff comes out in some sideways, weird moments mm -hmm. where you feel more, you feel fragile. You're like, what's really going on here? And, and it's just trying to put that back together and say, okay, that's what this is. That's where this is. I'm, I'm actually grieving five losses that I've not had time to process over the last year. And that's what's surfacing right now. And so I think uh, a counselor can help piece that together and see connections and, and see what the dots are and then be able to collect them in a way that allows you to then synchro uh, to synchronize them and then move forward from there in the midst of that. So I think that's a, a big part of it. I think boundaries is a huge deal, setting healthy boundaries. Uh, we've talked about Sabbath. We've talked about just emotional boundaries where I, I create space for myself, where I, I don't take on responsibility for things that I shouldn't take responsibility for. Um, uh, one of my big things in ministry is there's a difference between pressure and responsibility. Uh, responsibility is stewarding what God has given me the ability to control and influence. Pressure is when I start taking responsibility for things that are outside of my control. 
uh, certain outcomes, other people's feelings, how other people respond to certain things. That's outside of my control. Pastoral ministry so often is about separating out what am I responsible for and what do I have to let go of so I'm not crushed under the weight of that pressure. And I think a counselor can help you figure out where is my responsibilities begin and end so that I don't allow that pressure to debilitate me, which is so natural because we want to be all things to all people and to be able to be mm. a fixture in every given situation. Yeah. Uh, so those are probably a handful of the things that come to my heart. And so many of those are uh, what I'm going to call preemptive. You know, if, if we can give good attention to them, um, it, it will keep us from that, that, uh, crash and burn or that untimely exit, or as you say, things going sideways on you. But uh, the, the reality that we face is that sometimes that happens in, in pastors' lives, that, uh, whether through um, the church itself, uh, through individuals in the church, or through the pastor's own choices and actions, uh, there's great pain um, mm-hmm. and uh, a time for great healing is, is needed. Pastoral ministry can be painful, and sometimes that pain can become all-encompassing. Pastor, if you are hurting, if you are stuck, if you are burned out, if you have been forced out of ministry, if you have lost your job because of moral compromise, please hear what we know at PIR Ministries. You are not alone. God still loves you. God is not done with you, and He is still accomplishing His purposes in your life. We are here to help you find new hope. Contact us at PIRministries.org. I want to lean into the idea that you already raised of, of the local church being the context for healing, even though the local church might have been the context for the pain. Um, What's your heart on that? How, how can the church be that context for healing? And what have you found at, at Sparta? One of the great privileges of doing pastoral ministry is the opportunity to see pastors and ministry leaders who have been chewed up and spit out, who have been deeply wounded, who have not found a place, the church to be a place of health, to land in our own congregation and then just to walk with them. Uh, and to have our people walk with them, and then to see them uh, find their footing again, uh, maritally, ministry-wise, those kinds of things. And and you kind of alluded to it. I I equate it sometimes to a marriage. I you see a marriage that has been deeply wounded, where there's violations that have occurred, and and the hurt is very real, and the spouse wants to leave the marriage. And and while there may be times where that's necessary, uh, so often my argument is, um, if we understand God's heart on these things what we begin to realize is that God wants to create a place of healing and a place of recovery and restoration in the very place where you felt the greatest amount of pain and betrayal and violation. Uh, and, and I've seen marriages be able to do that. And it's, it's so incredible to see God take something that's so broken and do something so beautiful with it as he himself glorifies himself in doing uh, I think the church is the same way. I, I think that we we find individuals who have been in the local church, leading in the local church, who have been deeply wounded by the local church. Again, sometimes by their own making, sometimes by just the 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 un, uh, instability and the dysfunction and the brokenness of the people there, and the opportunity for them to come into a local church and to find a place of healing, a place of encouragement, a place of restoration, and to just see that process play out where the community of faith can do what only the community of faith Mm. can accomplish, Uh, that the church is uniquely designed to accomplish something in that way that nothing Mm. else can. Uh, And so it's just exciting to be able to be a part of that, to see it play out and look forward to future opportunities to see more and more of that realized through our own congregation. And and that's so much of what's at the heart of of the refuge church concept here at PIR that uh, we we seek to identify uh, the churches that that understand, uh, that have that grace-based culture um, to to just come around a pastor and, and family to provide um, that safe space for the healing process. And I, I love how you said it, to do what only the community of faith gathered by grace can do. And that's to extend the grace that, that God's given us in Christ to one another. 
Nate, I, I work with a lot of pastors uh, who are in burnout. They don't call me until they feel like, you know, I've got nothing left. Uh, I'm at, at the end of my rope, and I don't know what to do. Uh, you have a desire to help people build resilience in their lives so that they don't get to that place, so that they can, uh, can be strong and healthy uh, before falling into burnout. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that work that you're doing in the area of resilience? Yeah, I, I use a phraseology, just trying to move upstream, um, uh, that, that the inevitability is that certain things are going to happen and that burnout may come. Oftentimes, burnout is just burnout. It's emotional burnout. Oftentimes, it's also attached to the way that leaders have tried to cope with their emotional pain. And so now you have potentially addictions or you have other kinds of, of broken sin issues that you're now dealing with the fallout from. And so to, to work upstream, I, I think of this idea of how much time and energy and resources are poured into getting a leader educated and put into a position. And then all of the things that conspire to take that leader out of that position. Mm. And so the deep desire to, to, to do what we can to ward those things off, uh, to anticipate that they're coming. Um, I think Kerry Niehoff uses the terminology. Uh, I didn't see it coming. And he has a whole list of things that, man, I wish I would have known. I, I wish I, I could have seen that coming. And so thinking about even some of that type of stuff that uh, would, would prepare, equip, position someone to manage the rigors of ministry and to whenever possible, keep that burnout from ever becoming realized. And so I find myself um, consulting in that area, doing some counseling in that area, uh, doing some speaking and teaching in that area, just with a real heart cry to see that more and more realized. And, and I've been wrestling with trying to do some more and more writing just because the transferable stuff is significant to me that this can be taken and, and duplicated and worked through. And so there's a, a variety of topics. You heard me talk about pressure versus responsibility, and that being a big part of helping leaders understand their role and to not be uh, not be destroyed under the weight of unrealistic expectations or pressures that they place on themselves. Um, talking about th this model of trial and error versus pass-fail, um, that, that we spend a lot of our lives as leaders in this pass-fail mindset. Either I passed on that one or I failed on that one, when mm -hmm. so much of life and leadership and ministry is just trial and error. I tried that. That didn't work out so well. Let's try something different. But when we become more past fail than trial and error, uh, we, we can't try new things. We can't, uh, we can't explore new opportunities. And, and we find ourselves really stuck and, and terrified of failure rather than it being a trial and error type approach. Um, I, I think uh, Maxwell uses the phraseology hope versus optimism. Um, I think for part of resilience is that I don't have to be optimistic. Um, in fact, uh, I think Maxwell says that it takes, uh, they're very different because it takes uh, courage uh, to have hope, uh, meaning that it, optimism is not just about, optimism about my personality, it's about circumstances, whereas hope is more about who God is and what he's doing and the opportunity to move in the direction of what he has called me to and, and the role that, that he has for me. And so trying to help guys think through those kinds of challenges. Uh, the terminology I use a lot is that um, uh, there's a leadership actuator, meaning actuator on a car is that thing that takes potential and turns it into production. It's that part of the engine that takes all of that combustibility that's firing and actually turns into something that can move the car forward. And I think for a lot of leaders, that actuator gets broken. Um, where because of either addictions, because of uh, frustrations, because of disappointments, um, because we've, we've really not been prepared for the inevitable challenges that are come, that actuator gets broken. And how do we fix that actuator so we can keep you moving forward, so we can free you up to actually go do what God has called you to do and not find yourself in that place where you're just throwing your hands up saying, I'm done, I want out of this. And so thinking through how do we kind of position uh, individuals to work through those things. And again, that happens on many fronts and it has to happen in a, um, uh, in some sort of a collaborative process. I think putting pastors in, in groups of other pastors and leaders and making sure that they have those connect points. Uh, I think emotional intimacy in, for men in the U.S. is something that we all struggle with. Mm -hmm. uh, I think pastors maybe more so than anybody. Um, emotional intimacy is scary. It's risky. There's a lot of things that come into play, but encouraging guys to be in a place where they are really dealing with the real challenges, the real stuff. I, 
you know, my fears, my temptations, my anger, my resentments, my spiritual resistance, the ability to express it and do it in a relationship strips so much of the poison from it. Uh, because I acknowledge it. I acknowledge the, the realities of it. It takes so much of the poison and the power away from it so that I can move on. But, but being willing to move towards those kind of connections rather than to isolate in the way that we are so prone to do in leadership roles. Right. The, those are such powerful, powerful points and, and uh, very poignant. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the arrows in my heart for your brother. <laughs> You're hitting all these things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's got to be stories behind this. I mean, the power of story. What, what are some of your stories? How have you had to build resiliency into your own life? Yeah. So for me, it's, it's been a number of things. Um, we, went through a, we went through a church split uh, back in 2008, and that was one of the more heartbreaking parts of it is kind of during the season when I went in and said, I want to be done with ministry. Right. So I just, Mm. I want to step away from this and, and was challenged on how to think about whether this is about my own personal fulfillment versus God's call in my life. Uh, But, but I'll, I'll draw back to some things that I know are not new concepts, but I'll just lay it out there. Uh, I've been reminded more and more how important it is to invest in my marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. We're, we're seeing our kids graduate and move into the future. And, and there's this special sweet connection with my wife right now because of the investment that's been there and that mm. we've poured into one another. And, and there's just this buoyancy in the midst of some really difficult, painful, gut-wrenching stuff that we get to do life together. And so pouring into that and having years of investing into the marriage is paying off and powerful ways right now. And I think that has to be a big part of it. We excuse giving less of ourselves to our spouse in the name of ministry. Mm-hmm. We have all kinds of reasons why we can't do that. We make up language like, I don't have quantity time, but I have quality time. Well, <laughs> the bottom line is quality time happens within the context of quantity time. You cannot make that exchange. And yet we try to do it all the time. Uh, we, we shortcut in that way all the time. And so that's a big part of this Having a network, I've been sharing recently, uh, going through some painful stuff in my own life, that the network of, of, of allies, the network of intimate friends, of mentors, of spiritual uh, advisors, of counselors in my life, they have to be built into the fabric of what you do before the web breaks, before the, the brokenness comes. Before You can try to gather that in that moment of, of intense pain and heartbreak. But so often it's too late then. There's, there's more damage, there's more fallout that will come because you have not done it preemptively. And so putting those kind of people in my life so that I'm processing, they're accessible to me, I'm interacting with them and I'm not waiting for the crisis, uh, but I'm doing some things preemptively to, to engage with them in a meaningful way. That question of, of phraseology for me has come to being burdened for and burdened by ministry Um, is always something that you will experience as a leader. You will always be burdened for the people you're leading and burdened by the people you're leading. Mm. And I think one of the ways that I've had to deal with resilience in my own life is I need to figure out which of those am I focusing on? Am I focusing on being burdened by or am I focused on being burdened for? Because whichever one is driving me more in that moment will determine what path I'm on. Burden four leads me in a life-giving direction. Burden four uh, gives me energy. Burdened by, and if that's where my focus is, I become more frustrated and more discouraged and I find myself on the pathway to burnout. And so being able to recognize which is driving me more, am I burdened by or am I burdened for? Because they're always going to be both present. Mm -hmm. The only question is which one am I focusing on and and getting people in my life to help me reorient when my eyes go in one direction of burdened by rather than being burdened for Um, practical stuff that we all know, but uh, but sleep and Sabbath are huge um, and, and putting those things in place in a, in a uh, sacrosanct way. Right. So it's like, I, I'm going to work out getting the sleep stuff figured out the, the um, uh, getting the Sabbath stuff or- orchestrated. And then for me, it's also just working out rigorously. If I, if I'm able to work out three or four times a week where I can feel my body just pushed beyond my, the natural limits that I would go in a, in a day-to-day experience. And, and that challenges my body. It has a mental and emotional impact on it. And it ultimately frees me up spiritually to be responsive as well. And so those are things that have really been cultivated 
intensely into my life over the last several years. But unfortunately, they so often come on the backside of when the problem surfaced um, mm-hmm. and to learn from our own mistakes, right? So the phraseology that we use is that we all learn from our own mistakes, but the wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Um, I really wish I were wiser um, uh, in that regard, but uh, I've learned many of my own mistakes and had to work through those things. Mm. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I, and I just kind of recapturing those points, because this is really um, powerful for me. Um, just building resiliency you've seen in your own life, the value of wisdom, the value of rhythms, the value of reorientation, the value of networks and the value. And here's one I think that caught me this morning, the value of celebration Mm. to be, to be able to, as you say, with your Mm. wife to, to look back and say, wow, all that investment, all that effort, it's bearing fruit. Uh, and, and recognizing God's, God's work in that and, and sitting in that, uh, too, to, Mm -hmm. to be rejuvenated in that. So important for us. That's so good, Tom. I, I just want to highlight a resource that PIR has. Nate mentioned the importance of Sabbath, uh, on our website in the resources section, we have a Sabbath planning guide that I designed. That's, that's really all about helping, pastors make their Sabbath day the the best, most re-energizing day uh, of the week. And I totally agree with Nate that uh, that time in rest is hugely important to being able to have a resilient life and ministry. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to reaffirm that. Nate, um, I kind of want to go off script just a a, a little bit here. Um, Some of what you've been saying reminds me of, of a little bit of my own story. Um, and uh, just true confessions here, Tom, Nate was my counselor for a, a period uh, and really helped me. <laughs> One of many, I think, that I've and had. And now it's out there, yeah. But uh, maybe we can normalize uh, pastors receiving counseling. Amen. A bit yeah, that. yeah. Um, but during that season, one of the things that I discovered was a lot of what was causing me burnout was actually what the burden I was putting on myself Uh, my own expectations of what ministry should be, my own perfectionism and desire to to be seen as perfect in in other people's eyes. Um, Nate, could you talk to to that just a little bit about, not specifically me, but how how pastors in general can get in their own way? Yeah, it's a a great question. So I think pastors hold themselves up to a very, very high standard. Um, Unfortunately, it's a standard that is rarely consistent with what's expected by their people. So, so yes, there are extreme individuals who, who have ridiculous pressure and expectation they put on people. But the bottom line is that's a sign of their, their unhealth, right? That's a sign of, mm-hmm. of their dysfunction. And so when they're putting that pressure on, we feel like it's our mantle that we now have to carry when the reality is those expectations and those pressures that they put on us, says about something about them. It really doesn't say anything about us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think, again, figuring out what is my role? What are my expectations? And then giving ourselves room to struggle, room to, to wrestle with things, to not feel like we have to be the, 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 the one in the room who's always the happiest, who's always uh, got it all figured out, to be able to just be honest about, man, there's, this is a struggle for me. There's, there's some difficulties here. Inviting other leaders in your church into some of those honest conversations about the discipline of the struggles, family, kids performing in a certain way so that you can somehow establish your authority and your credibility as a leader via through your kids and the pressures that that puts on your kids. And then, and then when they struggle, you feel the weight of that and you start to question uh, your own um, competence. You start to question your own qualifications. So many of those things, uh, the evil one is insidious in the way that he allows those questions, those doubts, that shame to creep in and mm-hmm. to undermine leaders. And, and so leaders have an incredible opportunity, incredible uh, position to work from, but they're also going to have uh, a target on themselves. And, and the, the willingness to see that, to recognize that, and to not allow for all of those external things to impose themselves in such a way where pastors are crushed under the weight of those expectations 
and not to see it as their problem rather than my responsibility to manage for them. That I-thou separation is a huge part of it. This is me. That is you. You may have your own expectations. I'll do what I can to, to serve well, to lead well, to love well, uh, but I'm also not willing to, to accept that your dysfunction now is mine to manage for you or that mm. I'm going to allow that to um, uh, to become so uh, such an obsession that I'm going to try to meet those things in such a way where I am distracted from really the things that God has called me to. Yeah, and that's so hard to do when um, you carry that that weight of un, unrealistic expectation, uh, whether from yourself or or others, and just be able to uh, differentiate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, this, this has been such deep, rich, uh, wonderful, insightful conversation. And, uh, you know, as I'm trying to think, gosh, how do we summarize all of this? And, and, and for me, I don't know about you, Sean, but for me, uh, I'm kind of summing it up with the sense of, um, you know, as a pastor, as a ministry leader, don't ignore the red flags. Um, mm-hmm. or, or as it was put to me, don't ignore the stop signs. Uh, because in, in, in my uh, wheels coming off, a lot of it just had to do with blowing through the stop signs. And, and whether it was from my own um, unwillingness or perceptions uh, that I felt others would have about me or that had been given to me that, you know, well, good pastors don't talk to counselors. Uh, they are the counselors or, you know, you don't need a coach. You should be coaching others. These were things that I heard that uh, unfortunately I listened to uh, rather than recognizing that there, there were red flags raising. Um, and, and looking back, I knew they were there. Uh, I just did not attend to them uh, for whatever reason and the importance of attending to that. Uh, I don't know, Sean, how would you summarize it? Yeah, I think uh, I think I would even go upstream to use uh, Nate's term a little bit. Um, that that we can, as pastors, uh, uh, work on our our health before we hit those stop signs or mm-hmm. those red flags. Um, that we have an opportunity to work with coaches and counselors and mentors and and even friends in ministry uh, to make sure that we're coming to ministry out of a healthy, vibrant relationship with God, with ourselves, and with our families first. Hmm. Uh, and when we bring that to ministry, we're, we're much more resilient. That's what I hear Nate saying. Nate, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, that, that's, that's the direction I would... You're nodding say. your head yes there. <laughs> I think we got it. And Nate, we, we always like to end these uh, times together by giving our guests an opportunity to share any words of hope mm. Uh, mm. that they might have for discouraged or hurting pastors, what would you share? First of all, we know that God doesn't waste pain. Mm-hmm. And we, we say that, we claim that, we teach that, but in our own struggle, in our own pain, we lose sight of that. And so the one of the phraseologies that I love to use with, with leaders is that there's a difference between preparation and readiness, Readiness is the the emotional state of being where I feel like I'm in a place where I can tackle this. Preparation is the process that I've gone to that's actually positioned me to be able to tackle this. And I think pastors are oftentimes far more prepared than they realize. And they're, they're trying to focus on, I don't feel ready. I don't feel ready. I don't feel ready. When the reality is that God has prepared them for what they're facing, because that's what God does, right? God, God leads us mm. through. He brings us to a place where now we're prepared for something. And, and quite frankly, I tell guys all the time, I don't really care whether you feel ready because readiness is, is, is a transient state of mind. Preparedness is a place where God has brought you to. So let's lock in on that and let's think about how he has prepared you for this. And then uh, the, the, the last two for me, one is, is just the idea of labels versus titles. Uh, that, that we we take on labels that people put on us. We take on labels that we place on ourselves. Uh, Paul was so clear in, in 2 Corinthians uh, 12 saying that I don't identify myself by what you say about me, but I also don't identify myself by what I say about me. The only way that I can identify myself is what God says about me. And that's the titles that he's given me, that I am a son of God, that I am uh, a co-heir uh, in, in the kingdom, that there is there's a title that he's given me as his child, as his 
bond servant as the one that he loves and that he has poured out his blessings into my life that when I live in light of the titles that he's given me, it allows me to, to, to throw off the labels that I so often take on myself. Labels are so crushing and devastating and you cannot live in light of those things. And everybody around you will try to put them on you. Uh, everybody will want to place them on you and you will want to put them on yourself. Titles is what God invites us to live in the response to, and ultimately it becomes life-giving and freeing. And then the last thing to me is I always want to invite people to run towards something rather than away from something. Um, Sean, this is where you and I have walked this out, right? So it was, Mm -hmm. was inviting you to say, okay, what is God calling you to run towards? Mm-hmm. And then, and, and what I was so grateful for is watching God bring that to fruition where, mm-hmm. where you were able to run towards something and you committed yourself to not run from something, but mm-hmm. to run towards something. And I was so grateful to see that, but we've seen that time and again and again, where so many of us want to run from something. And if we decide we're unwilling to run from it, because that's just not helpful, God will ultimately invite us to run towards something. And mm-hmm. that is running towards his heart running towards the things that he's called us to rather than away from the things that scare us, frustrate us, disappoint us. Uh, But he's invited us to run towards something. And so I just invite people to sit in the place long enough so that you can decide what is he calling you to run towards rather than react in a way um, uh, prematurely so that you end up running from, because if you're running from who knows where you land and quite frankly, where you land is oftentimes worse than where you were rather than running towards something because of his call on your life. So those are some of the final thoughts that I would have in this. Well, Nate, thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on Hope Renewed. Uh, I'm just uh, just reminded again and again every time I talk with you that uh, God's grace comes through wise counselors sometimes. Mm. And uh, you have been one of those in my life. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Thank you so much for the opportunity. What a, what a joy to share and a in a conversation like this and and hopefully to be an encouragement and a blessing to so many leaders. You have been. And as always, we invite you, our listeners to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends uh, on social media or just by word of mouth. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It's our prayer that the shepherd and overseer of your soul would fill you with great hope as you continually return to Him. PIR Ministries partners with God and the Church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, PIRministries.org, or email us at info at PIRministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, The hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.